Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15 while you're turning there. I want to be really specific with you. You know, sometimes it helps for you to understand um, how you're being used around the world. There is a family in Granada, Nicaragua, um, that has the mom, the dad, and two of the children are still alive because of the gift that you sent them to pay for their medical care. So that's a type of thing that's happening uh, here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. And I think it's important for us to remember that God is in the business. Let me speak to you for a moment. God is in the business of seeking and saving that which is lost. That's what Jesus came to do. Matthew chapter 18, actually Jesus himself says this very thing. He's grabbed a child and put put him in the midst of the disciples, told the disciples, unless you become as one of these, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. But he further says, there in, in verse 11, that he himself was on a rescue mission. That in fact, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus described his own reason for coming. And here in chapter 15, we find an extrapolation of the details, if you will, of that principle. That God is concerned with the lost. And so in chapter 15, we see three examples, a study that I've entitled, A Bunch of Lost Things. You and I once were lost, amen, without Jesus. In fact, we were a little more than lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive. And so Jesus is now going to give us three parables in one chapter. We're going to cover them all. They have a central thought and a central theme. And so would you join me as we pray? We'll pick up here in verse 1 in Luke chapter 15 in a bunch of lost things. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that you were on a rescue mission, that you came on a mission to seek and to save. You were searching the hearts of men. Lord, you found me as a teenager. Lord, many of us can say with great authority. I was once lost, but now I am found. And so, Lord, speak to us. Encourage us. Lord, I pray for those that maybe have come today that do not yet know you. Would today be the day that they are found in you? We pray these things in Christ's most wonderful name. Amen. Verse 1, Luke 15 And then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. Don't you find that crazy? Jesus has been speaking parables primarily to the religious elite, to the Pharisees, the rulers of the synagogues, the scribes, 
And yet the Bible declares that the people that were attracted to the message were the very people that needed it most. Amen? The people who were hurting, the people who were blind and could not see. And all the Pharisees noticed their response to this, and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Can I share something with you? If you don't have unsaved people in your life, there's something wrong with your life. If you don't know somebody who does not know the Lord Jesus, there's something missing from your life. Jesus' mission was to take the words of life to people who don't have them yet. And I think too much of the church has become this sequestered mess that exists within sight of itself. And we're seeing that certainly in our day and time in the division in the church that exists right now. You have a lot of churches drawing back inside of themselves and in essence functioning in exactly the same way as the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, we have all the answers and because you're not yet like us, you can stay out, we'll just minister to ourselves. God help us if that ever becomes us. Because our mission is his mission. And his mission is to seek and to save that which is lost. It is to eat with sinners and publicans and tax collectors. It is to reach out to people who do not yet know Jesus. Now before any of you get any wise ideas that I just somehow condoned bad behavior, I did not. I didn't tell you to go back into the world and sin with them, I said, you need to show them the truth, and you can't do that if you exclude them from your life. You need to have some unsaved people that you see as an opportunity to show the love of the Lord to them. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees in this story are furious. The general public is kind of, eh, we don't really know about this guy. But notice what happened on the fringe of society. These people go, I need that. And if you think about your own conversion experience, for those of you that already know the Lord, it's probably your story too. You are not at the highest heights of your best behavior and being when Christ found you. You see, you were lost. You were that sinner. You were that public. And so was I. One of the most beautiful verses in the New Testament might be, this man receives sinners and eats with them. How beautiful is that? Because if Jesus doesn't do that, then maybe we never come to see him. Maybe we never come to know him. God help the church that becomes so set in its ways that we cannot invite freely in people that do not know the Lord. Church, we're on a mission And that mission is Christ's mission. And it is to find these same lost things, these lost people. Why did Jesus, and I've shared this with you, as he speaks in parables, you see, you have these three responses here. It's pretty clear to see them. But why is it that Jesus chooses now to speak parabolically or to speak in parables? Actually, in Matthew chapter 13, we're told exactly why. Verse 10, Matthew 13, and the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now notice Jesus' response. 
Verse 11, Matthew 13, And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not yet been given. In other words, spiritual things are spiritually appraised. The carnal mind doesn't know them, and so Jesus speaks in a way that a person who does not know the Lord can actually understand these things. And so he gives them these very simple stories. Paul does much the same thing in the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians. He reminds us that, look, these spiritual principles are spiritually apprised. And so Jesus is now going to give us three very short parables, all with the same meaning, yet from a slightly different perspective, each one. Verse 3, and so he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Church, this is a matter of economics. This this simply makes sense as the way to look at this. A sheep would have been very valuable. It would have been something that you would have worked hard to gain. And so Jesus is actually saying, look, you, you always go after the things that have value, but now he's going to equate what a lost sheep is. He's going to remind us why this principle is important to us spiritually. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Here comes Jesus. Here he comes. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 90 and 9 persons who need no repentance. In other words, the flock that is saved is not the focal point of Jesus' attention. The focal point of Christ's attention is the one lost one, the person who doesn't know the Lord. The church has become, in some ways and in some means, nothing more than a social club in a lot of ways. We just all get together. We all know the Lord. We all talk about the Lord. We talk Christianese. We're like, oh, praise the Lord, brother. But we're not looking for lost sheep anymore. We need to be busy about our Father's business. That's the lost sheep business. It's the one. It's not the 90 and 9. That's the reason we do what we do in the mission field. That's the reason we have these orphanages all over the world. That's the reason that we minister to homeless people. That is the reason that when someone comes and they don't quite look like they fit, we say, please, yes, you do. Come on in. Amen? Amen. We go after the one. That one may be the person who doesn't quite have it all together yet. Let me give you a little clue. You didn't have it all together when Jesus found you either. Amen? You didn't have all the answers. You weren't pre-saved. You know, it's like, oh yeah, well I'm worried because I'm pre-saved. I went to the pre-saved class. No, you were lost. And you were dead. And Jesus says, I care about lost things, especially lost sheep. There are three groups in this crowd. There are Republicans and sinners. I said publicans, not Republicans. Some of you kind of jumped on that awful quickly. Just saying. (laughs) 
It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a, you know where I'm going. Oh, these are stories of hope. To the publicans and sinners, these were stories of hope. They're going, there's hope for me. There's hope for my sinfulness. There's hope for my issues and hope for my problems. But to the Pharisees and the scribes, they're pulling back and they're scornful and they're questioning everything. But in the same way, they got to see what love looks like instead of the law looks like. You see, they'd had the law, they'd had holiness, and that was all actually good. It was intended to drive men to the cross. But they'd missed that part, and so they, they did not see the love of the Lord. But now they're getting to see the love of the Lord, that Jesus would go after the one sheep. And to the disciples, these are parables of faith. Jesus is saying, look, this is what it's all about. You've got to trust me on this. Any of you ever prayed for somebody for a long period of time only to not see the results of those prayers? Aren't you glad that Jesus still goes after the one, including the one that you've been praying for maybe for your whole life? Jesus still cares about the one. And so for us, this is a parable of faith. I have to keep moving forward in my walk with the Lord. This is so important to us. And so as you think of this, think of these parables and why Jesus is speaking of speaking them. Think of this first one, which is this one lost sheep out of 90. Now, some of you, being math wizards, are going, well, I still got 99%. That's kind of like some people I hear talking about COVID. Well, we still have 98.4%. Now, what if that's your dad that's dead? Sure what I said? I've buried the dad. You, you see, Jesus is concerned about the one. He's concerned about the one person that is agonizing right now. You are wearing masks right now, not for you. You're wearing them for everyone else. The one. That's why you're wearing them. That's a one thing. That's a us wanting to be like Jesus thing. That's willing to die to ourselves and go after the one. That's what shepherds do. You see, in this parable, as Jesus ministers to these groups of people, these same three groups are with us today. I guarantee you, you know some publicans and sinners. They're the lawbreakers, amen? I guarantee you, you know the Pharisees and scribes. They're the law keepers. You got those people in your life? I do this for the Lord. I do that for the Lord. I actually have a t-shirt that says, I am holy. the righteous one. We have those people with us today, don't we? And they rest in that self-made righteousness very often. And we also have the disciples, those of us that have been freed from the law. Anybody glad you're freed from the law? The law of sin and death, you've been freed from it by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. But you're supposed to do something with it. Still supposed to walk in it, church. 
We're supposed to be examples on this earth of who Jesus is and why he does what he does the way he does it. And so there in verse 7, notice what it says. So I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now we are on a mission. We're on a mission. We're on a mission to go find lost sheep and show them Jesus. These things must have mystified this, this particular gathering of people because they all viewed it from such a different perspective. And yet the message was central to all of them. The, the second parable here um, moves past the sheep. You see, the sheep needed a shepherd. and Jesus was saying, okay, basically I'm that. And the law itself was to point you to the good shepherd. So Jesus got that part of it ingrained into them in this first one. But in the second one, you see, lost sheep very often get lost without having any major responsibility, but they do have some culpability. They did the wandering. They, they kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, the rest of the sheep are over. You ever notice that? If you ever get an opportunity to see a flock of sheep, sometimes you're traveling up the eastern Sierras, you'll, you'll pull through Bishop and you'll look out there in the fields, there'll be flocks of sheep out there. It's always interesting to see that there's that one rogue sheep. That was you. Maybe the grass was greener, the water was sweeter, maybe just didn't want to be near the rest of the sheep because they kind of stink. You see, there's a little bit of culpability in being a wayward sheep, but notice this next one. No fault of its own, the lost silver, verse 8, or what woman having ten silver coins, verse 8 says, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls to her friends and neighbors together and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found the piece of silver which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Is it the coin's fault that the coin is lost? It isn't. This is a situation that happens to this coin that happened in essence because of someone else's carelessness. There are people in your life that are where they are, not so much because of their own doing, but because of the doings of others. They're unwed moms with children. They're abused young people. There are broken marriages where one spouse has abused the other spouse. There are people that got engaged in something when they were very young and no one stepped in to save them from that condition. There are all kinds of people just like this coin. You see, the coin did not drop itself into the crack or the crevice. The coin was dropped by the woman. The coin had nothing to do, actually, with it being lost. But I want you to notice what happens. The oil lamp, a picture of the Holy Spirit, sweeps across 
the existence of this woman's life and shines its light in every crack and every crevice until the one coin that got lost by someone else. And that's not saying that a person doesn't have culpability for their own sin, but it is saying there are a lot of people on this earth that where they are is a direct result of an awful lot of very unfair things that happened to them. Children that have suffered through horrific abuse that want nothing to do with their parents' God because the abuse happened from mom and dad. Think about it. Do you know any of those kind of lost coin people? I do. Matter of fact, I was one of them. I was one of them. I didn't ask to be homosexually raped when I was 11 years old. That happened to me. I didn't ask to suffer abuse in my own home. That happened to me. And I'm sure glad that the Lord turned on the lamp and shone his light so that I could be found. Amen? That's who he is. He doesn't say, well, you know, that must have happened. You know, it's like, it's just a casualty of society. You see, the world looks at those people as casualties. And Jesus looks at us as valuable. Amen? Aren't you glad he sees you having value? You're that misplaced money. You're the coin in the crack. You're the one in the rock. You're the one in the ditch. You're the one. You don't even know how you got there. But the Holy Spirit drawing you and say, there's, there's something for you in this life. Ah, oh, church. We need to have the heart of Christ in this. He cares about those people who are lost that way. He cares about the wayward wanderers and he cares about the lost coins. Jesus loves lost things. This suddenly mishandled coin. You know, interestingly enough about the coins of that day and age, Guess whose image was stamped on that coin? The king. The Caesar. And guess whose image is stamped on every living, breathing human being? The Imago Dei. The image of the Lord God himself is stamped on everyone. And he cares about where his coins have gone. And so he's searching, he's looking. He sends the Holy Spirit to sweep the house. Turns on the light. And so the same thing is said in verse 10. The angels of heaven throw a party when the one coin is found. If you're that one coin today, Jesus Loves you. Jesus loves you. 
Maybe you rolled off the table and into the dirt. You're covered with mud and people have stomped on you. Jesus loves you. He loves you. You have his imprimatur on you. You bear the mark of the king and he loves you enough to go after the one coin that you are. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows what you have suffered through in life. And he has a plan for your life. And oh, by the way, it is good. It's not evil. It contains for you a future. It contains for you a hope. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Now he gets to the truly willful one. He goes from misplaced money to two very disoriented dudes. Now I love this parable because there are two sons. There's not one son here, there's two sons. And strangely, oddly enough, the one that seems to have it all together may be the more lost of the two. Track with me, verse 11. And then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of the good that falls to me. In other words, give me my inheritance now. I want what I want, and oh, by the way, I want it right now. And so he divided to them his livelihood. One brother asked, the father is fair, gives equally to both. And so first we have the story of what we might call the scandalous son. You see, in the parable of the lost sheep, it is primarily the son, Jesus, that you see in that one. In the story of the coin, it's the Holy Spirit. Notice here, you see the work of the father himself. These are the father's boys. They're the father's kids. The father is mentioned no less than 12 times, actually, in the remainder of this chapter. And so you see the lure of the world, the the lure of faraway places, the, the allure of things that are on the other side of the ridge, the green pasture that is next door. There's something that's drawing this first son away, something calling his name. Screaming out, and boy, is not the world filled with those things today. Oh, you'll be fulfilled if you just do this, or you do that, or have this, or have that, or go here, or go there. The same call is alive and well in our world. Oh, the grass is greener over there. And I want you to notice something. No amount of pleading, no amount of reasoning, no amount of the father caring was going to change that this first son was going to take a journey, and it wasn't going to be a good one. That's the lure of the world that is still with us. Verse 13, the journey begins. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. The original language there seems to indicate this was not down the street. This was a far country. Paul uses the same language in describing when he travels to Rome, a far country. Maybe 
This young man decides he's heard about Athens or he's heard about Corinth or he's heard about Ephesus or maybe even Rome itself. Oh, man. I heard the wine flows free and the women are there and he's just, I'm like, party! <laughs> going off to college, going to join me a frat. You can kind of see it. It helps to modernize it a little bit. You see, we don't think about walking on a journey necessarily. I did after high school. I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. But that isn't what's in view here. This is the lure of the things of this earth. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wayward living. He wanted to see the world. Probably headed north to Caesarea Maritima, boarded a ship. Maybe he headed over to Puteoli, up the Appian Way to Rome. We don't know exactly where he went, but wherever he went, there were fast times and fast living. Those things which draw people away from the Lord to this day, maybe he headed south to Egypt or on to Carthage, perhaps across the Mediterranean to Tarshish, same journey as Jonah. We, we don't know. But what we do know is that the measure of this distance was not in miles, it was in morals. This was, I want to do things my way. This is rebellion. This is that which is bound up in the heart of most people. And in fact, John in 1 John, his first epistle, writes in chapter 2 and verse 16, these things, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that creeps in. And it's like, okay, man, I got to go for it. I, I need to go experience these things. And after all, I talk to my friends, and they all have multiple girlfriends, and I, you know, they're out partying all the time. They just seem to be living the great life. So they don't tell you about the times that they're sleeping next to the toilet. They don't tell you that their bank account's empty. They don't tell you that they've got some STD or AIDS. They don't tell you that they've lost everything, but they still got a nice ride. Ladies, let me give you a clue. Do not care about the car. Look at their shoes. <laughs> Amen? Good shoes are always found on a good man. Losers can buy good cars, okay? Just want to tell it like it is right now. <laughs> We're so prone to look at the wrong things. That's why I'm telling you this. It's like, oh man, he's got this and got that. Oh, it's got to be awesome. No, you can still waste really, really good things on riotous living. It can still happen. Notice where it goes, verse 14, but when he had spent all, that's everything, his whole inheritance. 
old inheritance. I've watched this happen over and over and over and over again. The, the moment that some freedom is granted, all that which was constrained within by rules and legalism and all kinds of stuff, which is still there, still has not been dealt with in the human heart, and all of a sudden you're out into the world and boom, that which took a lifetime to gain is over in a flash. There was severe famine in the land and he began to want and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. In other words, he voluntarily became a douloi, a bond slave. He said, I don't have anything left. I'll sell myself. Anybody ever use the term that person sold themselves to the devil? This is the principle. I don't have anything left, so I'll sell myself to a vicious, cruel master. You see, can I tell you something? The devil doesn't tell you he's a vicious, cruel master. He says, oh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to move in together, and we're going to play house. And, oh, yeah, well, I didn't tell you that I don't have a job. And I actually don't possess anything. I borrowed everything. I have 14 credit cards you don't know about. You see, that's how the devil works. The devil lies to you and says, oh, it's going to be awesome. This guy bought the story, bought the lie, began to live that way, and now he's joined to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, it's pretty clear because Jesus was a Jew. He's speaking primarily to Jewish people that it's almost assuredly this young man was Jewish. There is no worse thing that a Jewish son could do to a Jewish father than to end up feeding swine. That was akin to saying, I've become a Gentile. I've given up my inheritance, my physical inheritance, but I've also given up my spiritual inheritance, and I've now become as the Gentiles. Helps to understand the cultural ramifications of what's going on here. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. You see, pigs were given whatever was left over that nothing else, no one else, nothing else would eat. And no one gave him anything. In other words, he was fishing in the hog's bucket. He, he had gone from an inheritance with the father with wealth, having everything, to having nothing. Can I tell you, the devil never tells you that that's what's going to happen on that journey. The devil never tells you that you giving up what you have in Christ is going to get you nothing in this world. doesn't tell you that. He actually fills your head with what I like to call some stinking thinking. It's not good. Verse 17, would you please circle the word but there? The word but 
to me, it, they're some of the most impactful words in all of the Bible because this is a change. This marks a change. This is, but. It was this way, but. Here's the remainder of the story, and that's what makes this beautiful. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Any of you ever gone through those moments where you're going, hmm, you know, I really don't like where I am right now. Maybe I should do something about it. Sometimes the Lord allows those things in our lives so that we will see the fruit of what we're doing for what it is. I don't like slopping hogs. I had stinking thinking, and it's time for my thinking to change. I need to rethink this. I need to make a 180. I need to turn around and go the other way. You see, it doesn't do any good for you to have stinking thinking if you don't take that thinking and change it and then do something with it. I will arise. Notice what he has to do. Repentance is not just knowledge and understanding. Repentance is what you do. Repentance is you looking at the way you're going and saying, that's the wrong way, and then agreeing with God, I need to go the other way, and then picking your feet up, planting them one in front of the other, and going the other direction. That's real repentance. I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. All sin is a sin against God, but sometimes we sin before other people. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is where you start seeing the glimmer of, of grace. We sang about it. This is the beauty of God's plan for mankind. He still loves lost people. Doesn't matter whether you wandered a bit. Doesn't matter whether you got dropped in the crack. It doesn't matter if you made a cognizant decision to walk away from your inheritance. He still loves you. Amen? He still loves you. And so he allows these circumstances in your life. The reason that relationship with that person you're not married to is falling apart is not because there's something wrong with the parts of the relationship. It's because it's not pleasing to God. And God's saying, I want you to see this for what it is because it's going to hurt a whole lot more later. You see, would you come back to me? You see, in each of these stories, you have a little bit different spin on the same problem. The problem is the lostness. But there are lots of ways to get lost. Can you imagine when he picks up that slop bucket and he walks back to the door of the house and knocks on the door and says, hey, hey, mister, you can have this back. I'm going back to my father's house. I'm done. Amen? I'm done. I'm going back to my father's house because he really loves me. And I want you to notice that he's willing to pick up his cross and follow him too, isn't he? I'd rather be a servant in the house of God than own everything this world has to offer. That's the truth of the gospel message. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in God's house. Now you would think, some of you are probably thinking, my kid ever did that. Think about that for a second and then look at the father's response. And then he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, can I tell you that your wandering grieves God? And he's watching. And he knows where you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what party you went to. He knows what relationship you're in. He knows what you've stolen. He knows what drugs you've done. He knows that party you were at. He knows all those things. And he is still watching because he loves you. And while you were still a far off person, his father saw him and had compassion on him. Passionate understanding that leads to action. That's what the word compassion means. Passionate understanding that leads to action. It's not just words, it's action, it's deeds. Compassion says, I will search after that person. I'll go to them. I'll meet them where they are. And I love this. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the New Testament. And he ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. That's God looking at you. That's God looking at me. That's every lost thing. All three of these lost things get the same response from Father God. My son who is lost is found. He kissed him. You know, interestingly enough, we're not told about a bath in this story. We're not told about OxyClean. We're not told about Mentos. This young man just came from the slop bucket back to his father's house, and what does his father do? He does what no Jewish father would do without considering the cost. He girded up his loins, he pulled up his tunic and tucked it into his waistband, and he, re- he could not get there fast enough. That's my boy. Amen? Church, you need to see this for what it is. That's how God sees you in your wilderness wanderings. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for you to go, man, I'm tired of this lop. I don't like what I've got. I hate the way I smell. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going back to my father's house, and I guarantee you, this is what you will get. The father will go, welcome home. Welcome home. I've always wanted you to come home. I've never wanted you to be away. But I couldn't keep you from doing what you decide to do because it's against my nature to take and spit on your free will. You've got it. But I've always wanted you to come home. Now to clean this up, here comes the father from the watchtower. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Can I tell you, there's no second class citizens in heaven? None. None, church. 
There are no second-class citizens in heaven. You're in or you're out. You're a saint or an ain't. You're saved or you're not. And if you're in, you're one of God's kids. And your inheritance is heaven. And you are a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? There's no second-class citizens. Notice how this response is. He takes the best he has. You had the best of God the Father placed in your account too. It was Christ's own blood. God the Father couldn't give you anything more valuable. He gave you the blood of his own son. Amen? The robe of righteousness was put on you. The signet ring of the Holy Spirit was put in you. And the guarantee of the inheritance of heaven was given to you. This is a picture of who you are in Christ. No matter where you've wandered. No matter how you wandered. No matter why you wandered. He put the ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet. And he brought forth the fatted calf and killed it and said, let us eat and be merry for my son who was, notice this, dead. What does Paul write to the church at Ephesus? We who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, he hath made alive. You weren't kind of sort of dirty, you were dead. You're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're dead. You're not just dirty, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And the only solution to that is being made alive. There is no other solution. In this case, he was made alive again, was lost and is found, and now they began to make merry. But in this story, there's one other boy. And that other boy was a selfish son, a sanctimonious son, if you will, And his disposition is one that you can still see in the church today. And now his older brother was in the field. And this is a picture of national Israel. As he came and drew near the house and heard the music and dancing, he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But notice this. This is what religion does. This is what self-imposed righteousness will do to you. This is what your own sanctimonious heart can do if you're not careful. He was angry and would not go in, and therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. Does anybody actually believe that? You got any boys? Just say, nope. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. In other words, he's actually mad that God's grace is being poured out on his younger brother who slopped the hogs. God forbid that you ever get like that. Legalism will get you like this. That's what it'll do to you. Well, I meet all these criteria and I never have any fun and they had fun and they still get into the kingdom. You'll start to whine. 
And there is no club called Winers for Christ, I'm just telling you. The older son was jealous. The older son was bitter. The older son was actually angry over the grace gift that was given to this wayward boy. If you ever begin to get angry at the grace gift in some wayward son's life, you better check check and see how you're doing with the Lord. You better look at your own heart. Because this sanctimonious older son could not rejoice that the lost one had been found. And yet that is exactly what Christ has come to do, is to find lost ones. The other boy had maybe even a bigger problem. You ever met that person who's lived a life that, shall we say, was colorful? And they are so glad to be saved. Oh, they've been out in the field. They know what it's like to slop hogs. They've been everywhere. No one should be. They've done things that no one should do. And when they find the grace of God, it's like, praise the Lord, I've been found. Amen? But then you bump into that person. Well, I never got to do that. I'm in teaching Sunday school. (laughs) And they get jealous. God help us. God help us. If we can't rejoice when lost people are found. Amen? Amen. Better say amen because that's you, that's me. But as soon as this son of yours came, verse 30, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. So whether you came to the Lord very late in life, whether you came in the first hour or the last hour, whether you come in the noonday, whether you're lost from the beginning or whether you're lost in your religiousness, whether you're lost for your own doing or you're lost because of someone else's help, we all inherit the same kingdom, amen? The same king, the same Lord is Lord over all. Read Ephesians 4. There's one Savior, there's one Lord, and he's Lord of all. There isn't another kingdom for really good saints. And there isn't another kingdom for the guys that kind of still smell like pig slop. There's one Jesus, and he loves lost things, church. He loves lost things. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. He loves the knuckleheads in your neighborhood. He loves the people that toilet papered your house last night. (laughs) He loves the dark part of you. Not that he loves the sin, but he loves you when you're there. 
He never stops loving you. He never gives up on you. His grace doesn't stop. His eyes are never deflected from his kids. And he will come down from his watchtower and run to you if you'll run to him. So I was reading this this morning. I mean, just being honest. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he's found. I just started thinking about myself. To think that God threw a party with the angels because I gave my life to Jesus. You ever think about that one? That God threw a party with the angels when you gave your life to Christ. That's how he is so excited for us. Can you imagine the party that he's going to throw when we finally get home? Amen? The Lord loves lost things, church. Would you stand with me? And I want to pray with you right now. If you're here today and you're lost, Jesus wants you to be found today. He does not want you to walk in that lostness anymore. And we have a prayer team back in the back over to my left. There's some blue easy ups back there with pastors back there. They would love to pray with you a simple prayer of foundness, of meeting the king, running back to him. If you're wandering right now and you need to run back to Jesus, let's pray right now. Let's end the wilderness wanderings in your life right now. And let's walk out of here back to our inheritance. Back to the Father's waiting arms where you will be hugged by God and clothed in his righteousness and the signet ring will be placed on your finger because your Father loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to pray right now. Uh, And we as the church, we as your children, want to lift up anyone who's here right now that does not yet know you. And Lord, it's not to pressure them. It's to remind them that you love them right where they're at. You want them to change. You want them to turn. You want them to repent. But Lord, if they will confess you as Savior and Lord, they'll believe in their heart that you died on Calvary's cross and were raised for their justification that they'll be saved. And I pray, Lord, we pray as a church that today the lost would be found. But we also pray for the wanderers, Lord, the ones who have wandered. Pray that they would forsake their sin. They'd see the slop for what it is and repent of it and turn away and come back to you. They'd abandon those thoughts and actions that have split the distance and made it further between you and them. We ask that you would heal those wounds and drive them back to the cross, to your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you'd never lost sight of us. 
thank you that you've saved us. And so, Jesus, we give you our lives afresh and anew. Thank you for loving us. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.